Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. Hello, and thank you for listening today. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. Not, not every day do I interview uh, an aerospace engineer. And uh, today is Sarah May. I met Sarah at a uh, meetup in Colorado and Denver a few months back, and she was on a panel speaking, and I was very impressed. And uh, today, I'm, I'm interested to hear how you go from being an aerospace engineer to a real estate investor. Uh, but Sarah is a successful apartment investor who started investing in real estate after reading the Little Purple book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and discovering the concept of passive income. Later, after discovering the power of syndication, she she was able to go from buying duplexes to buying a 100-unit property on her first syndicated deal. Sarah was able to retire from her career as an aerospace engineer and now purchases large multifamily properties with investors who want the benefits of real estate ownership without the hassles. Sarah now owns over 1,000 doors as a limited partner in addition to the 130 plus doors she personally sponsors or owns. She enjoys the freedom that real estate provides and spends her free time with her husband and two sons. She enjoys sports, traveling, exploring Colorado outdoors. Thanks for being on the show, Sarah. Happy to be here. Thanks, Whitney. Tell us a little bit about how, uh, how you go from being an aerospace engineer to getting into real estate. Sure. So, you know, I had a 10 plus year career um, working in the aerospace industry and actually had gotten interested in real estate back in college uh, before I ever even started my career. Uh, just took me a while to get started and started buying um, properties on the side. Originally thought I wanted to do fix and flip. So did one fix and flip. It was kind of a, an ordeal, made a little bit of money and then saw the market appreciate a ton that next year. And I would have made probably quadruple my earnings if I just kept it as a rental for a year. So that experience got me into buying long-term um, small multifamily properties. So the next five years, mostly did two to four unit um, long-term buy and hold properties. And uh, as you mentioned, um, moved into syndication at that point, uh, went to a few seminars, realized that this could be a lot bigger business than just what I was able to do um, myself and started finding partners, building a team, and going into the uh, syndication business, which is just you know, pooling a group of investors together to do bigger deals than any of us could uh, do on our own. So why syndication and why not stick with flipping or small rentals? Um, I think really it's just uh, the scalability was what first got me interested in it, was being able to buy one property that has good cash flow, good appreciation potential, um, and, you know, go beyond my personal savings account. Um, but then there's actually so many more benefits that I discovered along the way where I can hire these much more qualified and professional property managers, um, much more professional contractors. Um, I have the benefit of only having one set of books that I have to review every month, as opposed to having, you know, a hundred houses, for instance, where you're looking at so many financial statements and it's easy for things to slip through the cracks. So um, lots of benefits to syndication that I've discovered. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your, your company right now and, and what your all's focus is. 
Sure. So uh, my company, Regency Investment Group, we're focused on apartment buildings. So we look for apartment deals in Colorado along the Front Range, um, that being Denver, Fort Collins, Colorado Springs. And we're, you know, value adders. So we like properties that were built in the 70s, maybe the 80s. Um, you know, they're, they're running well, they're occupied, but they can just be taken to the next level. So we like to go in, um, renovate the interiors, add some new modern looking signs, repaint the building. And, you know, by doing that, we're providing the residents a better place to live. And over time, we can raise the rents and increase the value of the property. Incredible. So what are some specific things in a property and a value add property that, that your company is going to look for? Um, you know, I think the, the one everybody thinks about is the interior renovation. So something that's dated, you can spruce it up and people want to live there and are willing to pay a little more for a nicer place to live. But in apartments, there's so many other creative things that you can do that usually aren't thought about. Um, so you can add things like carports and get a little bump. You can charge pet rent for people who have pets due to the higher you know, wear and tear they have on the property. Um, and then, you know, charge back utilities. In Denver, where I am, all the, all the properties are already charging residents for their portion of utilities, but in some markets, they may, they may not be doing that, and that could add, you know, 50 to 100,000 in extra income for these properties um, with, you know, without having to spend a dime, really. It's just the management uh, responsibility to get that implemented, and, you know, so that, those are some ideas on the income side, but on expenses, Sometimes you'll see these properties that are just, you know, self-managed um, by an owner that hasn't really paid a lot of attention to where the money is going. And you can bring in a new professional management company, cut expenses by 30%. And by doing that, you know, you increase the value by 30%. So there's all kinds of things you can do, um, get creative, and that's what makes this business so fun. Can you give us a brief overview of the, say, the most recent deal you all have syndicated? Uh, sure. So that 100-unit deal we talked about, um, it's in Aurora, Colorado. Um, bought it about a little over a year ago now and um, kind of had everything we were looking for. Uh, we wish we could find a dozen more properties just like it, but it had you know some light value add. Um, the interiors weren't updated yet. Um, had some old signs and an old office that we were able to spruce up. And um, then on the expense side, they actually were running it pretty well. So we were able to keep expenses low and uh, just follow our business plan, renovating you know, three or four units a month and um, burn off the loss to lease as well. Uh, that property, um, another thing is, you know, which is really easy is if markets are below rent, you can just raise them up to market rent and don't necessarily have to do the work. And the property we bought had some three and four bedroom units, which there are very rare in the submarket, but in very high demand. And so we were able to determine that those were about $250 below market um, at the time we purchased the property. So it was really easy to um, just go in and when leases expired, start bumping up those, um, those rents for the existing residents, as well as when people moved out, we could renovate them and rent them for even a higher market rate. Now, why wouldn't that seller do these things or why wouldn't they have raised the rent $200 instead of selling? I don't think they knew. There just there were no comps in the market. Um, but my husband and I, we have um, some other smaller rentals in the nearby area, like less than a mile away that had three and four bedrooms. And we were getting, you know, $1,700 a month. 
in these multifamily, smaller multifamily deals. So we knew that the 1250 that was currently being charged was far below market and, um, you know, could, could raise them up quite a bit. Great. And I wanted to back up a little bit about, about your aerospace engineering, um, and, you know, to people who are in a career like that, who obviously, you know, you're not flipping burgers. You didn't just go in and apply for a position and, and you're hired, you know, that you spent a lot of time and uh, was obviously dedicated to to achieve that. And, you know, but to make that switch and say, OK, I, I'm pursuing real estate. What gave you the confidence to, to know that that was the right right uh, direction? Um, I guess a few things. Um, one, I had always loved real estate. And um, so as a side business, I really enjoyed it and had fun. Um, and then also, I think just having the um, all the pieces come into place was a big part of it too. Um, for one, you know, we had passive income coming in uh, from our investments that, you know, pretty much covered our expenses, which made made it a lot easier to walk away from, um, you know, a really good career. And then on the real estate side, we had a team built up that was super solid and we knew we could do, um, do some big deals together. So uh, kind of the combination of education, being ready and having that team in place gave us the confidence to move to the next level um, besides, you know, having our immediate financial needs met. Yeah. So what was the what was the key thing that gave you the confidence to pursue this hundred unit property? Um, I, I think the two things I just mentioned are really the biggest yeah. ones. Um, I'm, you know, I found kind of my uh, my tribe, so to speak, right? So a group that has education, has networking, um, has a large group of passive investors who want to invest in multifamily, as well as the sponsors you want to put the deal together. Um, so finding that uh, source of education and network was key. I found my business partners through that network, um, as well as some investors. And then uh, on the teamwork side, like just finding the best property managers in town, the best brokers, the best lenders, knowing who to go to when, um, you know, when a question came up was, was key for me. Because in this business, you really can't know it all. although as an engineer, I like to try to think I knew it all, but you'll never get there. So <laughs> got to have a strong team in place. What's been the, the best way you have found to network and find those key players who are operating, um, you know, above everyone else? Um, so I think a lot of, a lot of it is networking within similar circles, similar social circles, um, going to meetup groups about apartment investing. Um, I've, also, you know, gone to IRA investing seminars where there's people looking to invest their IRA money in, um, you know, assets that are allowed within the IRA rules of the IRS. Um, so that's really where we've gotten a lot of investors. I know there's um, lots of bigger investors out there as well, but we kind of like to pride ourselves on working with kind of the normal investor who has some extra money, they want to put in real estate and we're able to provide them the benefits of real estate without them having to get their hands dirty and, you know, unclog the toilets and put, find the deal, put together the financing and everything else. Great. Um, and Sarah, what's the, what's the biggest reason you see syndicators fail? Um, I, you know, I think it's a 
lack of preparedness and over exuberance to get started. Um, and I was there. I mean, when I first got started, I thought, oh, I'll find a deal within a couple months. We'll, um, you know, have a deal that we own within four months. Like, no, no problem. Like, I thought going into that, that I was educated and had the tools I needed, but really it takes, you know, it took a year before we got, um, had all the pieces together and got that deal. So um, kind of the over exuberance to get started um, without adequate uh, team around you. And another big thing is the underwriting and how people look at deals. Uh, after looking at a few hundred deals, um, there's some mistakes that I see people make, like not adequately preparing for the tax increase in a year or two. Um, based on the new sales price or not raising enough money for um, closing costs and your renovation budget and your um, broker fees and everything else that could go into um, into a deal. So the underwriting is another key part that you know, just get better the more you practice. What's one thing I can do right now to improve my syndication business? Um. If you already have a business, I would say find the deals and find the money are the two biggest, most important tasks that any syndicator has. Um, right now, finding deals is, is tough. It's a hot market in a lot of areas of the country. Um, so focus your effort on finding deals um, and in, improving your underwriting so you're more competitive and have the confidence that the deals that you do go after will make money for you and your investors. and minimize the risk involved. Um, and then on finding capital, I mean, just, you know, it's a, it's a team, team business. So keep going out there, meeting new people and finding, have the capital ready to go for when you do find that awesome deal. Can you give us some examples of how your team is finding deals? Um, sure. So we mostly go the traditional route. Um, our team has very strong broker relationships in the target markets that we're in. Um, so we talk to the brokers, I mean, almost on a weekly basis, uh, some of them uh, ask what, what sort of deals they have, if there's anything coming up in the pipeline, uh, so that we're ready to go as soon as those deals are um, available. And then, some, uh, you know, you also can explore doing off-market deals. Um, we have gotten a number of off-market opportunities from brokers uh, that aren't publicly marketed, uh, so those are also a great way of Avoiding a little bit of the competition, although I will say even off-market deals still are competitive these days. That's probably the number one thing I hear right now is how hard it is to find deals. It's extremely difficult and it's across most markets. Um, what about, uh, you mentioned you mentioned uh, analyzing hundreds of deals. Uh, what's, what's the most common way you see mistakes are made when analyzing a deal? Um, number one by brokers and syndicators alike is underestimating the vacancy expense. Um, you'll hear statistics from market reports, oh, the, the submarket vacancy is 5%. And if you see 5% in the underwriting, it's wrong. And I'll tell you how. It's because it's not just the vacancy that gets factored into that line item, but it's also, um, they call it economic losses, loss to lease, gain to lease. Um, for the, the rents that are currently below market and haven't been raised up to market. And you'll always have those in, in um, appreciating rental market. 
there will always be leases that are not at market rate. So you have to factor that in. You also have to factor in bad debt, which a lot of times brokers roll into their vacancy term. And that's usually, you know, one to 3% of the um, gross potential rent. So, you know, that's just one, one thing to look at if you're, if you're looking at deal. Mm, that's great, Sarah. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time and uh, I would like for you to tell us how people can connect with you or contact you and uh, get more information about your company. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Whitney. Uh, great being on. So if you want to get more information about me and my company, um, it's regencyinvestmentgroup.com. That's probably the easiest way to reach out. Um, and my name's Sarah May. You can find me on LinkedIn if you want to connect that way. So really appreciate being on, Whitney. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah. I hope, hope you all uh, have learned a lot today and will subscribe and leave a review. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.